Please hear the reading of God's Word this morning. It comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. If you want to follow along uh, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 901. Listen carefully as the Lord Jesus reveals some astounding things about himself. Again, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we we come to you as we have sung and as we have prayed. We come to you as, as Lord. We come to you as the only one who can reveal the Father. We come to you as the only way to God at all in the world. Lord, our only life, the only truth, it is all in you. We turn from everything else. We say with Peter, when challenged by Jesus, will you leave as all these others have left? And he said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, where, where would we go? Where, where is there another salvation? Where is there truth? Where is there glory, the glory of God to be revealed to us? Oh, Lord, there is nothing in this life. This whole world holds nothing unless we have you. You're the whole reason that we live, that we might know God. And, Lord, you alone are the revealer of God. What a treasure you are to us, Lord. Worth all of life piled on one side and it would be a, a bit of dust compared to the weight and the glory and the beauty of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and by knowing Him, knowing God Himself. Oh Lord, come and reveal Yourself afresh to us. Make us taste and see that the Lord is good. For We pray it in the precious name of Christ. Amen.
certainly John 14, 6, perhaps with John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, are two of the most well-known passages in John. For that reason, if you're like me, many times the most familiar passages can become in one way distorted because all we ever know is that one verse. And we treat it almost like a growth that's to be cut out, but not as something that belongs in its context, organically connected to everything around it. It's a vital organ, and it's got a beautiful setting here. Uh, the, the diamond is in a glorious silver and gold setting that God has given it. And so, therefore, I hope that you'll come to this verse with the expectation of perhaps a little bit richer meaning than we may carry around with us uh, every day. Glorious, though, in its statement, isn't it? That I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've quoted it and quoted it well as the key text, perhaps, in the world of many religions to say no to anything and everything that would deny Christ as the way to God and the only way to God. And let's say at the outset, that's the most unpopular thing that you could say in the religious climate of America. And it will label you and me as being the one bigoted, narrow-minded, un... uh, What's the word? I just lost it. Tolerant, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Intolerant people. So that everyone else is tolerant. Every other religion is tolerant. But us. Because we say, this is the truth. Now, of course, as it works out, we find that every other religion in its end is intolerant of any religion that says it has the truth, of any religion that would set forth something as horrific as the death of Jesus Christ, something that would set forth the need for people to be saved by God having to die in their place. But that is the only truth there is and the only way of salvation that has ever been given on the earth. And we have to either say Jesus was right or Jesus was wrong. And he doesn't allow anything else here. He doesn't say I'm one of the ways you can get to God in a lot of other ways. But here's a way and perhaps we'll say the best way, but it's not the only way. Jesus leaves us nothing, no alternative but to say he is this exclusive way through whom alone people come to the Father or he did not know what he was talking about. And if he is wrong, he needs to be rejected not halfway but all the way for a man to claim wrongly that I'm the only way. It would be like what I heard years ago when Jimmy Swaggart stood before his cameras and with his cohorts halfway weeping in the background, he told of the vision that he had from God that he was the exclusive person that God was going to use in his ministry to reach the world for Christ. I heard it. (laughs) Now, what would be the next step? 
therefore send your money to me. I mean, where would you send it now? If God is revealed to the whole world that his ministry, well, then he gets all the money because all of these other churches and all these other organizations, God's just sweep, swept them all aside and says, here's my man, send your money to him. But I'm telling you, if Jesus is not the way and the truth and the life, then we have to put him in the same category as a Jimmy Swaggart. And there's no middle ground to say he's a way. It'd be nice. We all feel the weight of it. We feel the squeeze of it. We feel the rejection that's inerrant in it, that everyone will look askew at us when we say, no, he is the way. He is the way. In what ways then, in what aspects can we see in this passage that he is the way? I'd like to mention three. First of all, he's the way to the Father because he and the Father are one. He is the way because he is one with the Father. And embracing him, you embrace the Father. Secondly, he is the way because he prepares through his death and resurrection our home. He prepares for us through his death the way to the Father. So he is the way because he is one with the Father. And when we embrace Christ, we embrace the Father. But he is also the way because his death and resurrection pave the way for us to have the Father. And lastly, as we'll see in the overall context of John and this in particular, he is the way because he sets the course for our way as well. He is the way because he sets the course for us particularly that it will be a way of suffering and rejection. But it is the only way by which we go to the Father. First of all, he is the way then because he is one with the Father. Now, you'll notice in the context, Jesus in the first verses is urging them not to be troubled. And he says, believe in God and commands them to believe in him also. Now, that would be difficult given the fact that he is about to be rejected, to be crucified. Lies are going to come to the forefront and seem dominant as he is uh, convicted, and then he is put into a tomb. It's going to be very hard for them to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life when he's lying in a tomb. But he says, keep on believing in me. Keep on believing in me. And we'll return to this some at the end. But notice, he's talking about his father's house. And even though the Latin translation of mansiones has come to be mansions, and we all have, and one guy even said he caught, was caught up in the third heavens and saw the mansions of God. Okay. But this word actually means, it's the same word that, that is found in John 15 of abide in me and I will abide in you. It's the same term uh, used in verse 23 of this chapter when it says, we will come and make our home with him. So there are many remaining, there are many places in which you can remain. The, the idea is you will have permanent communion with the Father. It is a house, it's almost pictured as a city with many rooms, many apartments or flats. 
Maybe if you want to talk about modern terms, instead of saying, I have a mansion in heaven, you could say, I have a condo. <laughs> if you really want to take it literally, okay. But, but what he has in mind is simply that there is a permanent, glorious place of communion with God for you. And he's going to prepare that place. And so in that context of going to the Father's house, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus has said in verse 4, you know the way where I'm going. How can we know the way? How, 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 we don't know where you're going. And then, of course, Jesus says, I'm the way. But in the last part of verse 6, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That shows that the goal, the destination is the Father and the Father's house. That's the whole context of I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. As I have just talked about going to the Father and being in the Father's home. And there's a place for you to be with the Father. And Thomas says, where are you talking about? We don't know. And he says, I am the way to the Father and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then, of course, there's the further statement in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. So now instead of this, I'm going to be the way to the Father, it's like the Father has come all the way to you. You know the way to the Father because the way has come to you. It's present before you. This doesn't have any more the idea of us somehow getting to the Father and certainly not of, the, of Jesus taking us by the hand and delivering us to the Father, it has the idea now of the Father is before you. You know the Father. And so it's, it's like saying you are already home with the Father. You've already tasted being home with the Father. You're already enjoying that communion with the Father because you commune with me. I am the way. To the Father, because if you'd known me, you would have known the Father. And of course, Philip, inexplicably, you know, how in the world, unaccountably, Lord, show us the Father. Now, that would be me, you know, blurting out something like just not even hearing what he had said. But show me the Father. And he says, notice verse 9, have I been with you so long and you still do not Know me? He didn't even mention the Father. Isn't that amazing? He says, you said, show me the Father. I've been with you so long and you don't know me. To know me is to know the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You cannot even think that. Show him what he has already seen. There's nothing more to see. I am the true revelation of God. And this is so important for understanding the context of, of verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. By embracing me, you do embrace the Father. I'm not simply a bystander watching you and the Father and bringing you to a match. It is in our embrace of Jesus that we embrace the Father. It is by believing in Jesus that we believe in the Father. It is by knowing the Son that we know the Father. 
He is the true God. And so that aspect of I am the truth, I am the true revelation of God. In knowing Him, we truly know God. And that's why He is the life, because as He says later in chapter 17 in His high priestly prayer, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Him whom you sent. How do we know the only true God? Through knowing the one He has sent. Well, you see, if He is the true, final, explicit revelation of God, as it says in chapter 1, verse 18, He is the explanation, the exposition of God. As it says earlier in chapter 3, no one has ascended into heaven to see God, but the Son of God, the Son of Man, has descended to show Himself. No other human being in history. One has come to reveal the Father. And I always think of that hawk in Jeremiah Johnson when he's thinking about when that hawk's going to be at a certain crossing. And he says, you know, it'd take me four or five days, but for that hawk, why, he's already there. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're already there, Philip. You're already here. You've got the Father because you've got me. What I speak is from the Father. What I do is from the Father. When you get me, you are getting the Father. This is the Father, loud and clear. I and the Father are one. And that's why he says in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And I came across a great phrase. It's a little bit big, but I love the meaning of it. Uh, you know, we have the word transcendence, which means of uh, how God is over all things and all-powerful over the world. Not necessarily distant, but just how He's over all things. But because He is transcendent, He is also imminent. He is vitally present wherever we are, the word imminence. And so, uh, one writer has the word reciprocal imminence. The Son is completely and fully in the Father, and the Father is completely and fully in the Son. Reciprocal imminence. So that you can't have the Son without having the Father. Because they are one. And you see one, and you see the other. You have one, you have the other. He says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father in me does His works. They're completely united in everything they think and everything they say and everything they do. And notice, this is an aspect of our faith, brothers and sisters. It's not a side issue. We must believe, he says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. My works declare that. These are none other than the works of God. And so... We must see no separation between the Father and the Son. But we must realize I'm getting everything of God when I embrace the Son. And it is glorious to think that this Savior, this One who died on the cross, is fully manifesting God to us. We've talked about it again and again. But so often it's easy for us to think of the Father as distant and the Son as present. And of course, some traditions put even Mary in front of that. So you have to go to Mary to get to the Son, to get to the Father. But the Father is right there. The Father's works are in Christ. And it means that the Father was just as present, in a sense, on the cross, manifesting His love through the Son. 
Was it the, son, the father holding back and, you know, sitting there waiting for the son to do his work? He was manifesting the father's love on the cross. And that just warms my heart. It, it, it touches me over and over to think of, think of the father as well showing his eternal love. That's why the son so pleased him on the cross. Because he thought, that is my love. That is my love. So he is the way to God because to embrace him is to embrace God. He is the way to the Father because he and the Father are one. Secondly, he is the way through his death and resurrection. Now, we don't need to think of Jesus saying, I go to heaven and while I'm up there, I'm going to be fixing up your place. See, that there's a, you know... Some people have even in a folk religion type, like he's preparing your mansion, you know, and he's furnishing it and all those kind of things. But it's much more profound than that. I'm not taking away from what he has prepared for us in heaven, but it's much more profound. I go and and all going in John and the, the gospels in general is going to the cross. He is at the hour in which he will give himself. And this is what is so glorious that a, an earthly husband goes to prepare a place for his bride. <clears throat> but he would use materials, stone and, and uh, metal and wood and glass and various compounds, and he goes and builds this place for his bride. But Jesus goes to prepare a place for his bride by shedding his blood for her. That's how he prepares a way for his bride, by his own body and blood, in a sense, being the building materials. He goes to prepare a place through his sacrificial death. I would say this husband means business. He is doing this for an unworthy bride. His bride is degraded and defamed. His bride is lost and spit, empty and broken. But he goes and prepares a place for her through his own death. So this whole means by which the way is prepared is in view here. I go in love, to lay down my life so that you can have a home in heaven. I go to be rejected so that you can be accepted. I go to be judged so that you can be blessed. Oh, the love that is in the heart of Christ and the love of the Father that is manifested there, that's what the Father wants for us. And so it's manifested in the way our husband prepares a place for us through his own death. And along these lines, would you turn with me to uh, to Hebrews, toward the back of the Bible. And if you don't have your own Bible and would like to use the one in the pew, or you have your own Bible, but you don't think you can find Hebrews, that's fine. Uh, Hebrews is on page 1006. This this, uh, 1007, actually, the passage we're going to read. 1007. Under the little phrase, the full assurance of faith, verse 19. And it's interesting when Jesus says, 
in verse 14, I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That little phrase, to myself, is commonly used to say, my home. If I go and prepare a place, I will bring you to my home. You will be with me intimately. And certainly, if he is going to prepare that way for us, if he is to go to such trouble, it is inconceivable that the rest will not follow, that he will bring us to his home. He doesn't die to prepare a way and then lose us. But he, will, he will bring us. Notice here, I think this is an excellent uh, picture of what's meant in this sense of his preparing a way. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... And the picture is taken from the Old Testament holy place of the tabernacle and temple in which the priest would, through shed blood, enter once a year into the presence of God. And, of course, that was only a picture of the true entrance of of Jesus Christ. He's the true priest, bringing in not the blood of lambs, but his own blood, his own shed blood, into the presence of God. But now, it's not simply that Jesus has entered in there, but we have confidence to enter the holy places. And as many of you know, nobody could come in but the priest, and everyone stood outside. But now, with the true priest coming, we all crowd in right with him. He goes in, we go in, because we belong to him. And he's done all of this work, not that we should stand outside, but that we should be brought in. He is the way to God. He is the way to the Father in intimacy. So we enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. Same word, odos, in in the Greek. That he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And so the curtain being pulled back is the means of a creative way of saying his flesh, his, his death, his blood and body being given for us has opened the way for us so that there will be no judgment for us because we trust in his having taken judgment for us. We trust that the Father will smile upon us and His favor will be upon us because Christ has completely taken all condemnation away. And we can come expecting God to eagerly embrace us and to pour out His richest blessings and favor upon us at all times, never to remove it again. He's opened up this way that we would live now. You and I never live outside of that holy place, ever. Not one second of the day. It's not a place you go back into. You are there because you're united with Him. You are accepted. And whatever you do on this earth, wherever you live you live in this earth, in the truest sense, you're really in the holy place. Accepted. Loved. Only favor upon you. You've entered into that place. And notice verse 21, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who, is promised, who, who promised is faithful. 
And notice, having experienced that love and that acceptance, holding fast this confession of hope, notice how it relates to one another. Automatically, as we're in that holy place, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You might think in this vision of the holiness that you close your eyes and you say, Oh, I don't want to think about anybody else or anything else but God. And God disturbs that vision and says, Open your eyes. Because right here in the holy place, you naturally, from the heart, begin to pour yourself out, considering how to love one another and to stir one another up to love and good deeds. You're committed to one another and encouraging one another as a vital aspect of being in that holy place with God, the new and living way that Christ has opened up for us. So, this way is open for any of you here if you've not known Jesus Christ. He is that way and He offers Himself to you as the only way to God. And I urge you that as He is the only way, that it is more than any other situation in life. You know, we used to have the, and you maybe done this yourself, okay, I'll, I'll do you double or nothing. All right? Double or nothing, you've lost a couple, and now you're going to go double or nothing. You're going to bet the whole thing. Well, in this gamble, in this decision in your life, in this giving yourself or not to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a million million or nothing. It's eternal glory and life and richness and satisfaction in the knowledge and fellowship of God forever or it's nothing. Because He is the only way to God. Who else is going to bring you into that holy place? Who else will bear sin for your sake? You can recover from a broken ankle, from viral meningitis, from a mild stroke, from an accident. Some can recover from bankruptcy, from a flood or fire or war, depression. There is no recovery from God's judgment. We even, by God's grace, recover from death, so to speak. We're resurrected. But when you fall under God's judgment, the God who has offered His Son to say, here is the way then there's the loss of all possessions, all status, all honor, all happiness, all relationship, all comfort, all enjoyment, all peace and satisfaction. Anything, anything that makes life worth living is gone forever. There is one way, one truth, one life in Jesus Christ. And He offers Himself. He wants you to have Him. And He wants you to taste of that beauty and that satisfaction and that freedom even now. And then finally, let me just touch on the way that we must walk. The disciples need to know, of course, that Jesus is going to the Father. And and He is saying, you know the way that I'm going. But there's this sense, you see, that they are to be going also. You know the way where I'm going. We don't know that way. How can we know the way? And there's the constant 
reference in this whole section, this upper room uh, teaching that Jesus is giving on the eve of his death, of his constant communion with them and the way they are to live out their lives. In chapter 15, he lets them know that he will be the vine and they the branches and his life will be in them and they will bear fruit. And he even has there that you must love as I love and you must lay down your life for one another as I've laid down my life for you. So you see, he's not only declaring his way of suffering and laying down his life, but he's, he's saying, you know the way that I go and there's the implication, you must go this way as well. You will lay down your life in love and I will supply you and give you life so that you will be able to love as I have loved. And even to the point in the latter part of chapter 15, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. You see how he is laying before them, this is your life as well. This is the way to the Father. This way of embracing me and tasting this Father, the Father, and this way that has been opened up of freedom and forgiveness, it is also the way of suffering. And there could be no message more opposed to so much that goes on in American TV evangelism, where people are promised every good thing that's going to happen to them. And you hardly ever hear the word suffering. You hardly ever hear someone saying, you can love the Lord Jesus so much. He can be so valuable and precious to you. If you lose everything, you will still give yourself gladly to him. Lose everything. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we were supposed to get everything. I thought we were supposed to stay healthy always and things get better and better. We're going to get more and more money. And Jesus is telling us that this is the way, the walk, the walk with God that will mean that we love as He loved, that we may be called in ways we don't even know yet, small or larger, to bear the hatred and rejection of the world. But by His grace, we say with the psalmist, Your loving kindness is better than life, Psalm 63. To have your love means more than anything else in this world. Name any person, any honor, any relationship, any part of life. Nothing means anything compared to knowing you. As the psalmist says, blessed are the people who know the festal shout, the the shout of glory and worship, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Who walk in the light of your face. And that's why Jesus earlier in John 10 says, it is the abundant life. The abundant life. And this statement in in chapter 14, verse 1 When he says, let your hearts be troubled. This is usually used at funerals. But this is said as they are on the brink of catastrophic failure. They are about to blow it so badly. They're all going to deny Christ, 
Peter himself, the leader, is going to deny Christ three times. When they come and get Jesus, everybody leaves. Nobody wants to be associated with him. It is into that horrible, catastrophic failure that Jesus says, let your hearts not be troubled. How many of you are in the middle or have experienced failure that you just couldn't have imagined? Failure that you think, there's no way. There's no way that I could even be a Christian. There's no way that God could... Again, draw me to himself. There's no way. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I will give you life. I will draw you to the truth. I will provide all that you need to be embraced by God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that at this time when you yourself were in so need of support on the brink of such horrible suffering, still you looked to the needs of your disciples and encouraged them and built them up and poured the salve of your comfort into their lives. And a comfort that is that we've been able to taste for 2,000 years, Lord. We thank you that you say to us, no matter what our failings, struggles, no matter the darkness of our lives, not to be troubled, but to entrust ourselves completely to the one who is able to save us, the one who will bring us to the Father, who brings the Father, who by embracing you, we have the Father, and we already are at home, and we have a home. And we are in the favor of God forever. Lord, we pray that your promises will speak to our hearts, will give us a freedom from an evil conscience, as the writer of Hebrews says, that we will not be governed, Lord, by any prospect that we might have our own goodness as the way to God or our performance in some way is a way to God, or the fact that we attend church is our way to God, but it is only the Lord Jesus that is our way to God. We have no hope besides Him. You are our life. You are our strength. You are our salvation. We trust in You alone, O Lord. Thank You. We pray it for the glory of Christ. Amen.